the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Emerging Markets Equity Podcast. I'm Nick Robinson from the Emerging Market Equity team. In this podcast series, we explore the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets, from key individuals to evolving trends. We seek to answer the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why, that are shaping investment opportunities in the region. Today, we are going to discuss Latin America and focus on the theme of innovation and how that's shaping some of the investment opportunities in the region. To help me approach this subject, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues Eduardo Figueiredo and Osamu Yamagata. Eduardo is head of our Sao Paulo office in Brazil and also covers financial stocks in the region. He's been with Aberdeen Standard for 10 years. Osamu is an investment director on the Emerging Market team based in London the last 12 years. Osamu's expertise is emerging market technology stocks. In 1918, the Spanish flu arrived in Sao Paulo when an English flag-bearing ship, the SS Demerara, entered the port city of Santos. Its sailors had been exposed to the virus in Senegal, where they made a pit stop after leaving Europe. A few months later, 350,000 people, two-thirds of the Sao Paulo population, had been infected, and over 5,000 were dead. The pandemic devastated the local economy. That year, coffee production fell 20% and rice production almost halved. Over 100 years later, and once again, Latin America has been one of the hardest-hit regions in the world from COVID-19. This year, whilst the MSCI Emerging Market Benchmark return is now positive, Latin America is still down by close to 40%, and the divergence between LATAM and China is even starker given the 20% positive return from the MSCI China Index. You can attribute a lot of this performance divergence to the impact of COVID, both in terms of how the disease has been controlled, but also the various government's stimulus responses. In Brazil, President Bolsonaro took the Trumpian approach of consistently downplaying the risk of COVID, despite contracting the disease himself. With Brazil's federal and state system, similar to the US, it's been left to the states to impose lockdowns to control the spread and prevent their hospital systems overrunning. Brazil has had one of the worst COVID experiences in terms of deaths per capita, though new cases are now declining whilst many countries experience a second wave. Elsewhere, Mexico has faced particularly tough economic pressure with President López Obrador initially refusing to provide any fiscal support at all to the economy in the face of the virus, a decision which led to it being one of the worst performing emerging market economies in Q2, with GDP falling more than 15% from Q1 and the overall economy likely to contract by 10% this year. However, as we look forward, it's not all grim in terms of outlook. Brazil is seeing a sharp economic recovery in its largest trading partner, China, which should support exports. Additionally, as a result of the pandemic, interest rates are at record lows, so there's increasing scope for more local buyers of equities as they look to generate income. The much-awaited asset allocation shift from local bond-heavy pension funds could well occur, which would be an important development for the market. It is also notable that the US stance towards China has hardened across the aisle, so we are likely to see continued trade barriers leading to rejigging of supply chains. Mexico should be a beneficiary of this. Back in 2003, China overtook Mexico in terms of overall share of US imports. However, in the last few years since Trump was elected, with the increased tariffs, we've seen Mexico regain share. Going forward, we would expect Mexico to continue to gain share given the clear manufacturing cost advantage it now enjoys relative to China. 
And underlying all this, the region is also seeing the same acceleration of trends to e-commerce and digitalization as a result of the virus that we are seeing in the rest of the world. LATAM now has about 5% e-commerce penetration in retail compared to China at 27%. So the potential growth opportunity is huge. The pace of innovation has stepped up and the last few years have seen the emergence of homegrown tech companies that are disrupting traditional business models. Just in 2019, Brazil ranked third globally in the number of new unicorns created domestically, and there are now over 13,000 total startup businesses, up from 4,500 in 2015. So with a market in LATAM of 650 million consumers, this is undoubtedly going to present many future investment opportunities. So to explore this subject further, joining me today as first guest is Eduardo Figueiredo. Eduardo, how's the on-the-ground experience of COVID been in Brazil? Particularly now you're going into the southern hemisphere uh, summer and cases are beginning to improve. Are things getting back to normal? Hi, Nick, and hi, everyone. Thank you very much for, for inviting me to, to speak today. Yes, I think the, it was a tough period uh, for every country, but the, the challenge for us in Latin America and Brazil in particular was that uh, the COVID crisis arrived and, and really found the existing fragilities of, of the region. So, you know, a very challenged health system and, and poor infrastructure and, and indeed, uh, you know, a large social inequality that, that all countries were, were exposed. So if you're, if you're in a big city, as I am here in Sao Paulo, uh, with access to your private health insurance and good hospitals, I think we were some would say we were in better conditions than even some 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 of our colleagues in in developed markets but if you are relying on a public system and living in poorer regions and conditions the situation was clearly uh, different uh, politicians didn't help as you said in the introduction a bit of mixed messages from from governments and it was really tough to ask people to stay at home when they are relying on informal jobs and you know living in in small homes in, in very poor living conditions. So this was really the challenge that we faced to constrain the contagion and control the contagion across uh, many markets. I think now we're in a, in a better uh, position. I think governments ha has, have learned their lesson and the number of contagion uh, is, is steadily going down. Difficult to say that if we are out of the woods yet uh, because we haven't seen uh, the second wave, but uh, hopefully now we have the protocols in place and, and in a much better position to deal if, if another wave emerges. Thanks, Edu. Well, I, I'm pleased to hear that things are at least getting uh, a little better there. And earlier I mentioned the potential for this asset allocation shift given historically low rates and given the really tiny allocations that most Brazilian pension plans have towards equities. Are you seeing any signs of that happening? You know, we've been talking about this shift to to equities or, or the shift in portfolios for some time. And I think only over the past uh, 18 months or so is that when we saw this becoming reality. I think we one of the key data points that we, we draw the attention to is in Brazil specifically is the number of individuals, for example, that are buying stock uh, for the first time in their lives, uh, buying um, equities, right? We see... This number has reached close to 3.5 million individuals, uh, multiplying almost four times over the past uh, three years or, or so. And that's, you know, a clear sign that individuals can no longer rely 
on the on the plain vanilla fixing fixing income instruments to protect their savings. Rates in Brazil at two percent um, and expected to remain at low levels for longer. This will continue to drive that that trend in our view. The the institutional as well has has it's still below peaks when we look to allocation in inequities and and as as um, the, the scenario improves for for more equity allocation, we think you have the conditions for for more of that in the in the portfolio of local investors as well. So so that has been really the what supported uh, local equities in, in an environment where we had. Uh, continuous sort of outflows from foreign investors in 2019 and 2020. Uh, the other side, just to conclude on that, is that the interesting dynamics is not only the demand side, but also the, off, the, the offer of instruments to invest. So we see new asset classes emerging, um, the, the uh, more companies coming to the market. Uh, at some point this year, we had overly um, 40 companies lined up for listing shares in the stock exchange in Brazil. Uh, and that's positive as well for, for us in terms of investment opportunities across the region. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, certainly the trend towards more retail participation in, in stock markets is, is something we're seeing globally, I think, at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues uh, at the end of lockdowns when people are spending less time at home. It's moving on to innovation. I mean, Innovation is perhaps not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Latin America. So it's almost surprising to see the number of unicorns being created there and the increased growth of startups and, and fintech. You know, why is that, do you think? If we think through the conditions that, well, where innovation really happened, right? Taking the examples of other countries is, I think, and, and how startup works, I think you, you really... Typically, these businesses emerge while trying to solve a problem uh, and a challenge, right? And if we talk about challenges and, and difficulties across Latin America, we, we quickly think around uh, bureaucracy, you know, low quality of public services and, and uh, elements that create, in a way, a, a fertile environment for, for innovation and for solutions. I mean, you, you lived in Brazil, Nick, you, you experienced our version of the notary office, the so-called cartorios, and, and, and that is a, just an example of the bureaucracy uh, in play. The other thing I think that, that plays in Latin America's favor is the size of the market. If you take a country like Brazil, um, over 200 million in population, that is really a, a good sort of a testing ground uh, and a, you know, a big market for many of those companies to, to test innovations. In other segments, I would say some of the inefficiencies, for example, within banks, uh, the high spreads, the high margins, and indeed concentration was also what created the conditions for some of this business to, to emerge. So I think when we add all this, I think the, uh, really the, the problem-solving nature of many of those businesses is what has been driving a lot of the innovation we see. And now, uh, with some backing from, uh, more recently, I guess, with some backing from uh, more investors coming to the region, uh, really in, on, on the venture capital and, and some of the well-known and well-regarded investors in technology, um, 
you know, starting to look into assets in, in Latin America and back some of these businesses in, in early stage. Yes, I, I mean, I certainly remember the Cartorios from my time in Brazil. I spent many happy hours standing in line waiting for a document to be stamped. Yeah, we can, I suppose we can draw quite a positive outlook for, for digitalization trends, but are there many investable opportunities in, in listed equities in, in that segment to gain exposure? That, that's why it's difficult to make the direct link between Latin America and the, the digital uh, or the technology opportunity. Because if you look at the benchmark, you know, and taking the MSCI Latin America as an example, you'd have only 1.5% of the index directly uh, classified uh, as, an, as IT play. I think if we do an exercise here and add some of the e-commerce names, I would probably reach close uh, a bit over 5% in terms of that, that direct exposure. So it's, it's really difficult to say, uh, to find those opportunities if you are looking at the benchmark. And just to give a reference, if we look at the MSCI emerging markets, that IT sector represents nearly 17%. So it re you really need to go look beyond the index to find the opportunities. Now, the other observation I would make, which is perhaps as exciting as the direct exposure to the technology sector, is what's going on with uh, what we say traditional companies that are benefiting from technology uh, across the region. I think we have you know, very interesting direct examples of, of companies uh, that are listed, uh, companies such as uh, Globant, uh, uh, software company Totus, or indeed the direct e-commerce players uh, like Mercado Livre or Magazine Luisa in the region. Okay, thanks, Eduardo. And we had a conversation in, in the last podcast we had about some of the governance issues that are unique to China in the technology space. What kind of governance issues do you come across more frequently in Latin America? Well, I think, you know, in the tech space, the, the issues would probably be, be common uh, across many companies. I think the, the issue around uh, dual share classes. Um, uh, it's something we are uh, experiencing. Uh, you know, I think the, the the region was used to deal with dual share classes from from a legacy uh, in traditional companies because uh, you know typically the, the the family owners didn't want to to lose control uh, when they listed the business uh, in the early days. But but now what we are seeing is really entrepreneurs using that structure and using the, the super voting uh, structures to, to retain control and to be able to execute uh, on their business plan. So uh, we are vigilant on, on these developments because we think this, those structures uh, uh, really need to be uh, justified and, and we, we retain as a house a, a preference uh, for uh, the one share, one vote uh, concept and, and we will continue to defend so but uh, in certain cases I mean we we, we need to go beyond uh, the headline structure and, and you you need to have a lot of comfort with the individuals behind and, and all the other uh, safeguards that you had in, in an investment so one of the, th the issues with that is that due to the restrictions in countries like Brazil for those more say creative structures in terms of of shareholding and, and, and difference in votes. Uh, we see some companies uh, going to uh, the US market, for example, some Brazilian companies, instead of listing its share locally, 
Um, so this is a trend which is a bit unfortunate for, for the local market in terms of losing uh, the, the investment opportunities. But for us, uh, we are able to access uh, all of these names. So it's not a, a major impediment. Okay, thank you, Eduardo, for those insights. Um, now I'd like to bring on my next guest, Samu Yamagata. Samu, you cover e-commerce companies in both China and Latin America. So I believe you're uniquely positioned within Aberdeen Standard to give a perspective on how they compare. Do you think LATAM has a similar potential over time as China in terms of growth? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the benefit e-commerce wise for Latin America is that, um, you know, they're, they're largely copying or they can see um, the benefits of the business models that's that's tried and tested and has worked in, in developed markets and more developed emerging markets. Um, you know, you take, if you take the example, the marketplace approach that's made Alibaba so successful, um, you know, it's being replicated primarily by Ricardo Libra. Uh, and they foster an entire ecosystem of third party sellers to sell in the most visible real estate in the world, which ultimately is your mobile phone. You know, China saw a significant pickup in e-commerce activity after the SARS pandemic, uh, where penetration levels accelerated and they kept on accelerating. Um, and they're at a level of over 30% today compared to around 10% prior. Now, bearing in mind, you know, China has structural advantages such as more reliable infrastructure, um, the processing power, sophistication of smartphones and penetration is higher. Um, but you look at um, that time today, um, and the infrastructure isn't that much different, but the smartphone processing power is better than China was 10 years ago. So the roadmap to success, such as brand awareness, service quality, um, should give companies in Latin America more confidence to invest more aggressively in growth. Um, and you can actually see that by the, by the level of investments being made um, by the companies. But I would probably add that, you know, it's not a one player or a one model business model game. You know, Amazon in the US has gone from a model of owning its own inventory to increasingly incorporating the marketplace model. And they determine their own path to success. Um, and in Latin America, we have strong hybrid models as well. Um, you know, B2W is an example of owning its own inventory and using the marketplace. Then finally, you know, in what is somewhat unique, um, as, a, as a success story so far is the offline to online model that magazine Louisa um, is doing. Now, all these companies are issuing near-term profit to grow. And with COVID as a tailwind, I'm very optimistic on the growth. Though ultimately, it's still relatively early days. So we have to be selective about who has the right business model um, uh, uh, to grow. Um, but, and maximize both profit as well in the longer term. Yeah, I find the magazine Louisa story quite impressive because I, I remember seeing them when they IPO'd in, in Sao Paulo. And at the time, you know, it appeared to be a company that was probably quite similar to Best Buy in the US, you know, pretty well op operated electronics retailer. But I don't think anyone suspected that they'd be able to perform the transition that they have done over the last few years to become one of the leading e-commerce players in, in Brazil. Um, yeah, when you look at some of the, I guess, issues with growth uh, in Latin America, yeah, is the quality of software engineers and, and workforce 
one of the challenges that companies face? I think it is, but, um, but you know, the, the big growth and the, the developments that you're seeing is largely supported by local talent. I mean, Latin America is a fertile environment for burgeoning tech talent with young engineers and entrepreneurs driving disruption in business. I mean, you know, the founder of Instagram, Michael Krieger, I mean, you know, he's only 34 and, and he's, a, he's Brazilian. So, you know, even aside from, you know, the, maybe the top individuals, you can see that we have companies like Globant, a leading IT software firm based in based in Argentina that's carving an exceptional niche as IT integrators for the newest digital technologies across global enterprises, not just emerging markets. Um, I think what you have to be aware of that, you know, while the talent level is high, it's not an endless supply. Um, so there is some limit. Um, and we can see that some companies um, Maybe the more traditional guys like Palabella um, are looking to markets like India for qualified engineers um, and so on. But the, the talent is definitely there in Latin America to, to drive and innovate. Okay. And so what have been some of the other issues that have prevented the growth of e-commerce within LATAM and, and how's that changing? So I think the historical barriers, and I'll list three of them. I mean, first is sort of technology. So smartphone penetration has historically been quite low. Um, and as that rises um, and the unit cost of smartphones come down, that obviously gives people more access to the digital platforms that are creating the e-commerce sales. Uh, today, uh, you know, market research has smartphone penetration in Latin America about 50%. So there's still room to grow. Um, but obviously, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a number that's risen um, to, to a good level over time. The second is service levels or, or logistics. Um, effectively, how long from your order until you get it delivered and how competitive that is against just walking to the store. And that's been improving really quickly over the last few years. I think um, you know most platforms, if you live in an urban area, you'll get your products delivered in two days. Um, and that's a big difference from where we have been in the past. So the convenience factor is improving as well. And finally, the, the last part is, is on the payment um, method. Um, there's a trust issue historically with use of digital payments, but that's been in, uh, eroded by um, you know, e-commerce companies that are creating digital payment platforms. Um, the ongoing move from cash to digital payments is happening in Latin America. And the consumers are actually becoming increasingly more millennial. And, they, and, and as a society group, um, they tend to be more open to new technology and digital payments. Yeah, and you mentioned more e-commerce companies moving into payments and financial, other financial services. I mean, what does the fintech landscape look like today? And are regulators generally being supportive of this move outside of the traditional banking sector? Um, absolutely. I mean... Um, take Brazil for um, as an example. I mean, over 30% of adults in Brazil don't have a bank account. Um, and the number is even lower across Latin America. I think it works out to around 40 to 50 million people. Um, and of that 50 million, more than half of them have a mobile phone. So there's an opportunity there in terms of digitalizing um, or giving ability of uh, Brazilians to, to save money um, and to pay digitally. Um, in Mexico, over 60% have no bank account. 
Uh, over 60% of transactions are still cash. Um, in Brazil, over 70% in Argentina, and over 80% in Mexico. Uh, and you know, as a, and this compares to less than 30% in the US, um, less than 20% in China in terms of how much um, transactions are still made by cash. So there's a significant opportunity um, to move payments more digitally, and that's more secure, easier to track. So the regulators should be should be encouraging that move. Okay, thanks for that, Samu. And despite what are challenging times in Latin America, I think we can be pretty optimistic that the digitalization story has a long runway ahead, and that should provide many investment opportunities, though it's notable that many of these are likely to be outside of the benchmark. So I'll draw the conversation to a close there. The only thing left for me to do is thank my guests, Samu and Eduardo, and thank everyone who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.